This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. It is Tuesday. We are back doing some cardiology questions this week. Um, Daphna, how are you today? I'm doing great. Quite well. Quite well. Good. Quite well. Uh, All right. Um, I guess you're up today and uh, we are starting our questions. You ready to begin? Uh, I think so. Let's do it. I see see this as an EKG question. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Cardiology question 54. A pediatrician orders an EKG on a one-day-old newborn with a murmur. Good for that pediatrician. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which of the following electrocardiographic findings in the newborn in this vignette would be considered abnormal? So we're looking for the EKG finding in a one-day-old with a murmur that would be considered abnormal. Your first choice is a low QRS voltage in the limb leads. Your second choice, choice B, is a low-voltage T-waves. Choice C, right-axis deviation. Choice D, tall, peaked P-waves. Sorry, again, I said P as in Peter. Uh Uh, E, upright T-wave, T as in Tom, in lead V1. These are your choices. Low QRS voltage in the limb leads, low-voltage T waves, right axis deviation, tall peaked P waves, upright T waves in V1. Oh gosh. I, know. I don't I don't like this at all. Uh, of the cardiology section, I would say EKG is my least 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 favorite. So okay. Uh, I guess we really want to find you know, there are a lot of findings in the newborn that are normal, but that are not normal if you're not a newborn. <laughs> so um, there are, you know, I think one of the things we remember most are the axis deviations. There are lots of congenital heart disease that have right axis deviation. However, right axis deviation is very normal in the newborn because uh, they have this physiologic right ventricular hypertrophy. So that is normal. Low voltage T waves. Uh, that's not raising any flags for me. Low voltage. I'm not, it's really not raising any flags for me. Um, I think upright T waves can be expected, but the tall peaked P waves, something to do with the atria, uh-huh. <laughs> would, would potentially make me think that there is dilation of, of one of the. Of one of the atria, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I guess mm-hmm. my question, I, I guess my choice is D. Good job. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go over the, 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 Please the answer do. That, that, you, that you gave. So abnormal P waves may be seen in infants with atrial enlargement, right? We know mm-hmm. that the, the PR um, interval is really representative of uh, atrial contraction. And we know that as the the waves on the EKGs are getting higher and higher, the voltage gets higher and higher, that means that there's more force during uh, probably happening at that time. And so if more force means probably atrial enlargement, and that would not be um, 
And that would be not normal. Mm -hmm. The other reason why is that maybe there are multiple foci that are hitting at the same time. So that would be like a non-sinus origin of the P wave. Mm -hmm. Again, not normal. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Tall peaked P waves represent the right atrial enlargement and are an abnormal finding in the neonates that should prompt further evaluation. Now, there are other changes that occur um, in the normal EKG from birth to adult life. They relate to changing physiology, position of the heart and body size. The majority of normal adult values are abnormal in a neonate. So it is normal for a neonate to initially have elevated right-sided forces as the pulmonary pressures are dropping. Um, we see this all the time. As a result, the newborn QRS axis is initially deviated to the right, and there are upright T waves in V1, mm. representing the right ventricular strain. Neonatal EKG um, frequently have relatively small QRS voltage in the limb leads, in the limb leads, and T waves of low voltage as well. Good job. That was tough. Yeah. Okay. I have for you question 55. Uh, a newborn is admitted to the NICU for management of a tachyarrhythmia. The cardiology team is consulted and they recommend initiation of digoxin. Which of the following is an anticipated effect of digoxin? Is it A, hypotension, B, increased refractory period of the AV node, the atrioventricular node, C, increased cardiac output, D, negative inotropic effect, or E, positive chronotropy? Hmm. Hmm. I kind of know the effects of digoxin. Good for you. There's actually a great episode on the side effects of digoxin by our good friends from the uh, Curious Clinician podcast. So it's one of my favorite episodes about like, was Van Gogh having some side effects of his digoxin? So um, that is a very, that. A, very good tip. Yeah, go listen to that. And uh, because you know how Van Gogh had a lot of yellows mm -hmm. in, his, his, in his paintings, they're like, well, mm -hmm. was he just experiencing the yellow vision you get with the Jackson? <laughs> so they, they go through the whole thing and try to see if we have any indications of whether that was the case or not. But in any case, I'm. That doesn't help you answer this question. No. But um, the uh, uh, anticipated effect of the Jackson would be the increased refractory period of the AV node, I would say. That's right. That's right. Um, answer choice B. Digoxin is a safe and effective antiarrhythmic medication for term and preterm neonates. It is also used in fetal therapy for arrhythmias. Digoxin is a positive inotrope and a negative chronotrope. Its positive inotropic effect is due to the inhibition of sacro sacrolemal sodium-potassium adenosine triphosphatase. This enhances contractility by increasing intracellular sodium and calcium. But that's not why we're using it in this case. The decreased chronotropy is due to a prolonged sinoatrial conduction rate evident by the prolonged PR interval. Digoxin also increases the refractory period through the AV node, accounting for its antiarrhythmic action. If digoxin toxicity occurs, an infant may have hypotension. I think this um, question actually was a good example of like, what if you don't know the answer? <laughs> Mm -hmm. But I think, especially with the medication questions, I think you have to ask yourself, like, what am I trying to accomplish with this medication? And which of these answer choices would help me accomplish that 
effect. <laughs> and I mean, even if you didn't know this is what it did, you this would certainly help slow the heart rate, uh, increased refractory period of the AV node. So I think that was good. Cool. Okay. Daphna, uh, you are next. We have question 56. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. I'm reading it. I love this question. Good. Um, in order to maintain oxygen saturation in goal range for an intubated infant with chronic lung disease, the neonatology team has to significantly increase the infant's ventilator pressures. After these changes occur, the nurse notes that the infant's blood pressure is starting to decrease. The neonatology fellow examines the infant and auscultates equal breath sounds. The most likely cause of the lower blood pressure in the infant in this vignette is A. Pneumothorax B. Pulmonary hemorrhage C. Pulmonary hypertension D. Pulmonary interstitial emphysema Choice E. Reduced venous return Okay, truthfully, I mean, the answer could be any of these choices, really. Um, I think you should definitely think about pneumothorax, especially since you had these really increased ventilator settings. But I think they want you to think away from pneumothorax because they told you that you auscultated equal breath sounds. So you had a clinical exam that was not consistent with pneumothorax. Pulmonary hemorrhage definitely can still, uh, you know, if you have big... Um, Bleed, you can have blood loss that leads to, to hypotension, um, but they didn't say that there was any blood or changes on x-ray. Um, pulmonary hypertension, um, certainly possible in this baby, but less likely, I think, to cause hypotension. PIE, also less likely to cause hypotension. But this reduced Come on, venous... you know this. You know it's this. reduced uh, venous return. I love turning down. I love looking for hyperinflation. <laughs> it's one of my favorite clinical pearls. So if you jack up the settings, you hyperinflate this baby's lungs, there's just not enough room in that thorax. So uh, there's there's too much pressure and it inhibits venous return. So the answer is E. Yeah, that's correct. Um, I'm going to give you the short end of the Answer choice, but basically intrathoracic pressure changes are transmitted to other intrathoracic uh -huh. structures, such as the heart, and these changes can impact cardiovascular performance. For example, systemic venous return and thus atrial filling or preload can be affected. This can cause stroke volume and cardiac output to decrease, leading to a lower blood pressure. A fairly straightforward question, but mm -hmm. I think on the day of the test, you mm -hmm. might... You might wonder whether PIE, pulmonary hypertension, this is a kid with BPD, you know, you're like, oh my God, but uh, just keep it simple. Sounds good. All right. Okay. Then. Question 57. Mm -hmm. On rounds, the neonatologist is reviewing vital signs on a two-month-old infant who was born at 23 weeks gestation. During the past week, the infant's systolic blood pressures have been above 100 uh, millimeters mercury. In neonates, the most common cause of hypertension is A, essential hypertension, B, hyperthyroidism, C, nephrocalcinosis, D, posterior urethral valves, or E, renal artery thrombosis. Mm. Ah, in neonates, the most common cause of hypertension. Um, well, I don't like this question. <laughs> Let me just put it out there. Um, the infant why was born. Don't you like, why don't you like the uh, question? Because you know the baby in the vignette is two months old and was born at twenty-three weeks. So my answer would be renal artery thrombosis, which is something we've talked about before. 
Mm-hmm. But the question is then asked in neonates, the most common cause of hypertension. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, in neonates born extremely low birth weight who had central lines or like mm-hmm. in any neonate. So I think mm-hmm. that could be a bit confusing. I'm assuming we're t- talking the vignette is slightly connected to the stem of the question. So I'm going to say E, renal artery thrombosis. Yeah, that's correct. And and I agree with you. Obviously, there are other very common causes of hypertension, but A, they weren't listed, and, and B, for this uh, this baby. The method of defining hypertension in neonates and infants is generally stated as consistent blood pressures that are greater than the 95th percentile. Renal vascular and renal parenchymal causes account for the majority of cases of neonatal hypertension. So lots of different kidney pathologies, but still the most frequent cause being renal artery thrombosis associated with umbilical catheter placement. Renal parenchymal causes include congenital hypoplasia, dysplasia, or cystic diseases such as autosomal recessive, polycystic kidney disease, and multicystic dysplastic kidney. We did just review this in the a few weeks ago. Acquired renal damage can also lead to the development of hypertension, such as with acute tubular necrosis or cortical necrosis. Obstruction of the urinary system at any level has also been uh, causally related to neonatal and infant hypertension. Obviously, this is much less common. The most common cardiovascular cause of neonatal hypertension is coarctation of the aorta. Chronic lung disease is also associated with hypertension, and there are many medications that can also cause hypertension. Other less common sources include endocrine causes such as congenital adrenal hyperplasia, hyperthyroidism, and hyperaldosteronism. Okay, buddy. I'll see you tomorrow. All right. Sounds good. Bye.